Well, if you weren't here last week, uh, you may be wondering why in the world we have a Christmas reading for the gospel. Uh, and last week I introduced uh, the sermon topic or series for the season of Lent that we're in right now. And we had another Christmas reading last week. And the reason is, is because what we're doing during this season of Lent is we're focusing on the names of Jesus. And where you find the names beginning to unfold, not only in the prophecies that prophesy about Jesus and who he is and why he came, but you find them, first and foremost, in the readings that we use in Christmas. For example, last week we read out of Matthew chapter 1, and in fact, rather than just trying to even tell you what it was, I'm going to read you a couple of lines out of that reading. In Matthew chapter 1 we have, She will bear a son and you will name him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And then later on in the reading, the name that we focused on last week, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And that's what we talked about last week. God is with us, Emmanuel. Because that's why Jesus came, at least in part, to show what it's like to have God in the flesh. But in reality, if you look throughout the Old Testament, God was with his people throughout the Old Testament in a different way. And if you see, after Jesus had ascended, The Holy Spirit is God with his people in a different way. And that's the same idea that we see with the name that we're going to focus on today. The name that Jesus is most known by. He's most known by the name Jesus. Pretty basic. But it's really, really interesting. When you say the name Jesus, you will have a smattering of reaction whether you're talking about people in the culture, whether you're talking about people in the church. Because some people, it kind of really just kind of runs off your back and it doesn't really mean a whole lot, the name Jesus. And then you'll have people, people that it will mean something like he was a good person or a good man or he was an ethical teacher, a moral teacher, he was a prophet. He was an innocent victim even. And they missed the point about who Jesus really is and why Jesus really came. Or on the other hand, you'll get a visceral reaction of someone who really is angry about the name Jesus or what Jesus stands for or that Jesus might and Christians might stand for something that appears exclusionary because we'd rather talk about God or we wouldn't rather talk about spiritual things at all. Let's just talk about the world. Because the name Jesus, if you really understand, means something. And we're told right off the bat what his name means. His name means, the name Yeshua means Savior. Why? Because he will save us from our sins. That's why he came. And if you're not a Christian, or if you misunderstand the purpose of why Jesus came, you're going to miss the point for the whole of your lives. 
See, this whole notion and idea of God coming to be our Savior again existed in the Old Testament before in different ways. We get glimpses and shadows and foreshadowing of God as Savior. And you will actually see the term over and over again throughout the Scriptures. For example, God saved Noah and his family from the flood. You will read that term. And then Abraham was rescued out of his people, which was a pagan people, and he was the father of our faith, the Jewish faith, initially. And God directed him and revealed himself to him. And he was blessed to be a blessing. And then God used Moses to save his people out of bondage in Egypt. And then we see the prophets calling the people back over and over again because God wants to be their Savior and they've departed from Him. And then you see when the people are in exile, there's an allusion to this in the prophecy from Isaiah, when Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, fell to the Assyrians in 721, and then you see the southern kingdom, Judah, fall in 587, to the Babylonians, and the people are in exile, and they need and they want to be saved, and they're returned eventually. Once again, God's saving grace. So you see this allusion over and over again to the fact that God saves. And He even saves, if you caught it, the Isaiah reading... The first verse, the last verse, two times, bookends the word Savior. But in between you have this wonderful verse that talks about people who have ears, but they don't hear, and people who have eyes, but don't see. Jesus said the same thing. That sometimes the call of the culture, the call of other beliefs, The call to drift away from the Lord is so loud, we're not listening. We can't hear. And so it's hard for God to save us because we're not listening. We're not willing to listen. Or the bright lights, the entertainment, the desire, the lure of culture is so attractive, we can't see. We just can't see. When God is trying to save us from our sin, He's trying to save us from ourselves. He's trying to save us from eternal separation from Himself. And that's why He sent Jesus. His name means Savior. And when Scripture talks about salvation, it actually talks about salvation in three different ways. I don't know if you know that. If you've been through the discovery class, you do. You may not remember it, but you do. And the first salvation that is talked about is salvation from the penalty of sin. The second is salvation from the power of sin. 
And the third is salvation from the presence of sin. The theological terms are justification, sanctification, and glorification. And I want to talk about each one of those briefly. The first is salvation from the penalty of sin. That the reality is, when we sin, when we fall away from God and His grace, we need a Savior. We can't save ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not because of works. You can't earn your way. You cannot earn your way. Lest anyone would boast. We need a Savior from this penalty of sin, which is eternal separation from God. And that's why God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to die on a cross in our place for our sin. You've heard it over and over again. He's the perfect sacrifice. He is what we needed. You know, it's really interesting because not everybody, even if you would consider yourself a believer in some way, shape, or form, not everybody really fully buys into that. Unless you do, you'll never really move along the path to really begin to be transformed. Because we're still in this kind of little mindset, which is where I was for a while, of I'm basically a good person, that Jesus really died for those sinners out there. You know, and and I thought like that for a long time. I used to argue with my youth minister because I was a goody two-shoes. I was a good kid. Let me read to you a verse that really hit me strongly. It's out of James. For whoever keeps the whole of the law but fails in one point is accountable for all of it. Let me explain that to you. If you sinned once in your life, you need a Savior. Now, how many here have only sinned once in their life? I mean, I remember reading that and and I said, that's not fair. But what it says is, once you've sinned, you've sinned. Once you've sinned, you're a sinner. Then it began to dawn on me. And once I began to take more of a realistic view of my life, I realized I needed a Savior. And right around that time, someone asked me a great question that I will always, always be thankful for. What can you add to the cross of Christ for your salvation? Think about that one. That has always had a huge impact on my life. Because the answer is nothing. And once we understand that, once we understand the tremendous gift that we've been given... And we know Jesus to be our Savior. Then we begin that next phase of salvation. 
that is the transforming part of salvation. That we're being saved from the power of sin. See, because sin has a debilitating effect on us. Sin has consequences. Sin wears us down. God doesn't say don't sin because he's a meanie. Because he's a killjoy. It's because it hurts us. And it hurts our relationships. And it takes away our relationship with him. I mean, the commandments are about love. And if, and if I understand that God wants to live in a love relationship with me and I with him, and we want to live in love relationships with each other, then we want this power of sin to begin to dissipate in our lives. And so we seek to be transformed. You know, we pray this prayer every Sunday at least. You may pray it during the week too. It's called the Lord's Prayer. And in it we say, deliver us from evil. Right? Deliver us from evil. You know, the Greek really in the scriptures is deliver us from the evil one. And it puts us in mind of the realistic picture that we're dealing with. Most people in our culture, especially today, don't have a problem with this impersonal evil that's out there where we see these shootings that go on. Right? Most people would say that's evil. But when it comes to the evil one, most people say, I'm not sure about this Satan, this devil thing. It makes it much more personal. Jesus dealt with Satan over and over again. Because we are dealing with not just flesh and blood, as Ephesians 6 says. We are dealing with the principalities and powers. We are in a spiritual battleground, make no mistake about it. And that's why God desires that we would be delivered from that. And that we would learn about this salvation from the power of sin. That we would learn about this process, this experience of sanctification, of being made holy, becoming Christ-like. Because that's His desire for our lives. That we never get stuck. That we don't just say, okay, I'm saved, I'm good enough now, no problem. I got this. Well, Jesus got this, sort of. I might need to help him now and then, but I'm basically okay. That's not what our faith is about. When we understand that he delivered us from the penalty of sin and the serious nature of that, and that sin has this effect that wears us down in debilitating ways and takes away from our relationships and has consequences, and that God wants to transform us and sanctify us, make us holy as he is holy, and make us loving as he is loving. That that process, that experience of salvation, that the power of sin becomes less and less. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. And then we come to that last salvation, salvation from the presence of sin.
where we go from this life into his presence for all eternity. We die. Physically. Physically. But eternally we live with him. You know what's amazing to me is how much focus, time, energy, resources we spend focused on this world. It's unbelievable. You know, let me, let me put just a little twist on it just for a moment because I was touched by this and I'm sure you were too. The Parkdale High School shooting down in Florida. When they had the article and they came out with the names, the first name in the paper, this big guy, he was huge, football coach. His name was Aaron. That's probably also touched me since that's my son's name. Assistant football coach Aaron Feist was shot to death selflessly shielding students from bullets. Anytime, Las Vegas... Florida, when one soldier dies for others, it almost takes our breath away to think about that. Sometimes I wonder whether I could do that. But that's for a physical life. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about eternal life. And we spend so much time thinking about entertainment and fun and success and the things of this world only. And sometimes we're focused on our children and our children's children for this world only. And there's nothing wrong with wanting our children and our grandchildren to be healthy and successful. But we have to be committed to eternal life for them. Because we're committed to eternal life for ourselves first. That how we live and who we live for has to do with salvation from the presence of sin. For Jesus our Savior. That's what He calls us to. When He's saving us, it's from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, And ultimately the presence of sin. You know the reality is sometimes we want to be saved and sometimes we don't. If you look at your life, it's true. You know, sometimes I want to be saved. You know the Southwest Airline commercials? You know, it's always about embarrassing moments. Want to get away? I mean, there are times in my life I want to get away. You know what I mean? You ever had those? I hate those embarrassing moments. I mean, it's like, I just want to get away. 
know what I mean? Am I the only one that experiences those? I mean, you know, I'm in front of people for all kinds of reasons and events, and there's sometimes I just don't want to be up here because I just want to get away. You just feel like an idiot sometimes, you know? And there's sometimes I just don't want anybody helping me. I don't know if you're like this. There are sometimes I'm angry and I don't want to get over it. I used to be more like that when I was younger, by the way. I, I will never forget, Meredith and I were in an argument one time, and I was angry, and I'm thinking, I really need to shut up and say I'm sorry and let this go. I didn't want to. <laughs> there are times that we don't want to forgive. And you know what? We don't have that option. Going back to the Lord's Prayer again. Forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us, there's not a sometimes in that one. Forgive us our trespasses as we sometimes forgive those who trespass against us. God calls us to salvation, to be transformed first from the penalty of sin, but then from the power of sin, which means there are times we need to go to him and say, Lord, I need to change. You know, go back just for a moment to the people of Israel. When they were delivered from bondage, just for a moment, they got into the desert three days. What are they doing? They're complaining. We need water. Right? And he gives them water. Why? Because water is necessary for life. Water gives us the opportunity to continue to live, and it cleanses us. Hold that thought. Then a few days later, they say, and now we're really hungry too. So he gives them manna, bread from heaven. Fast forward. The Christian faith. When we come to Christ and accept him as our Savior, Jesus is Savior. It's the water of baptism that gives us the symbol, the symbol gives us that life in Christ and cleanses us and refreshes us. And then every Sunday we come to the table to have the bread. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And Jesus says, I will give you living water. He is our life. He's our life. So when Jesus saves us, what he gives us is life itself. Life that goes on into eternity if you really understand why he came. To save us from the penalty of sin.
from the power of sin and ultimately from the presence of sin. Jesus saves. Is he your Savior? Let's pray. Lord, we hear the name Jesus periodically in the church, in our culture. And sometimes it just washes over our back. Sometimes your name means little to nothing. Sometimes over time we just lose that sense of power in that name. And yet, Lord, sometimes we sing that name and we pray to that name. And sometimes we even take insults and are persecuted because of that name. Lord, help us to remember the power of that name, Jesus. Jesus, the Son. Jesus, the one who came to save us. Because he loved us, he humbled himself. Because he loves us, he went to the cross for us. Because you love us, you desire us to be transformed and to become more and more like him. To save us from the power that sin has over us and the devastating effects and the consequences. Lord, I pray this day, instead of being deaf to your call and blind to how you're you're moving in our lives, that we would be more desirous to hear you, more desirous to see you. And more willing to live for you because you are the Savior. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.